ladies and gentlemen, you know exactly what time it is. Coming to you now, Spotify, WXVU, Villanova Radio, 89.1 Wildcat Formation. <clears throat> I'm your host, Anders Pryor. Happy game day. March is mad. Kentucky is in its bag. Iowa Hawkeyes heading home. UConn, Big East rival, heading home, rightfully so. I feel like my bracket's in pretty good shape so far. We have a packed show for you today. March is mad, not just for college basketball, everyone. It's mad everywhere. Um, This whole month has been crazy just for sports top to bottom. Football, NBA, college basketball, even baseball has some whole set of things going on. Pack show for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Devontae Adams on his way to Sin City, reunited with college teammate, college quarterback from Fresno State, Derek Carr, on a five-year, $141.25 million contract. Highest paid wide receiver in the NFL, and rightfully so. And the AFC West just continues to snowball effect its way into NFL immortality. Now, I love the move a lot. I'm going to start off by applauding the Raiders for the self-awareness that they are having under this new front office. Now, I think the Raiders, regardless of Russell Wilson's new presence in the division, recognize the roadblocks that come in playing those three teams twice a year. It is now a division that is filled top to bottom with elite receivers, especially on behalf of Kansas City and the Chargers, and filled to to the brim with elite pass rush talent so they're like okay let's match this they go get Chandler Jones they release Karnassib get some cap space going trading Gawkway for Rocky Hassan who's a much cheaper contract and then use that space to get in Chandler Jones so now they can't just chip block Max Crosby anymore now they have to pay respect to the entire line um, my my guess is that they'll probably go edge in the draft with the draft capital that they do have uh, following the trade. It was one, it was the 22nd pick and I believe the 53rd pick um, that's going to Green Bay as a result of the Adams trade. My guess is that they go edge rusher just to kind of cover the other side and to fully lean into this kind of making the front four just kind of this powerhouse or taking a linebacker who you can kind of use in like different kinds of spots. Um, I believe that that's that kind of direction because now they're, they're need for receivers well taken care of. I'm sure in the seventh round, it's a, it's a deep class, so I'm sure someone in the seventh round can slide right in and be a rotational person. But in terms of offensive weaponry, they are good to go. So what this does now, in my perspective, is it gives Carr an incentive to stay long-term. The co- The quarterback market is getting scarcer by the minute, and this is a weak class. Um, there's not going to be you know, another elite level kind of class until this kind of Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams kind of cycle gets to the point where they're eligible. And so his 
value what you could ask for him. Derek Carr has gone up, and so this gives him now an incentive to restructure his contract, uh, take some more guaranteed money, be a long-term part of the franchise because he's already committed a lot, and he and I'm not saying that he wouldn't. I'm just saying that now it motivates him more to just kind of keep being who he is and a lot of the fatigue that he's probably felt over the last couple of years must be diminished. It's kind of a new, cool new uh, spark of hope for the franchise in terms of incentives because Josh McDaniels, for the first time in what feels like a while, is going to get like a real legitimate, proper number one wide receiver to work with. He's going to get a superstar in the building because this is this is his first time being a head coach, a real head coach in a while. I mean, we don't really, no one really takes the Denver thing super seriously now, but he's going to get people in the building, Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones, who can really step in and be um, role models and pieces of solidarity for what has been a really chaotic franchise, right? Devontae Adams, you know, usually a lot of these receivers have really big personalities. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, a lot of these guys, right? OBJ, you know, kind of pop off the screen in terms of their personality. Devontae Adams, he's really quiet, not a huge social media guy. Um, really excited to see how that kind of personality fits within uh, this kind of new fabric of the franchise that the Raiders are going for and that Josh McDaniels is going for. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how he fits, not just schematically, but also how he kind of single-handedly changes the scope and the kind of aesthetic of the franchise. Because I, I, I do think it's still going to be the Raiders, that they're the, the Rebels or the Outliers. And I like that. It gives, it gives the league something to root for or root against, depending on what your preferences are. I think it's going to be a really good influence. Him and Chandler Jones. You get an offensive kind of leader and a defensive leader and everything just kind of seems to be going in the right direction. You're you're giving Mick Lombardi a lot to work with. You're giving Patrick Graham a lot to work with. And so I think it's going to be a really smooth transition for everyone. What's not as smooth is the Packers, who are now feeling the consequences and the ramifications of the Aaron Rodgers' new contract. Here's what I have been failing really to understand about the Packers front office, right? If something doesn't work, if a roster doesn't work, go change it. If you fail to win the Super Bowl, which is the one singular goal at the end of the day for every franchise, that implies that it's not good enough to do so situationally at that moment. And so you make adjustments. When the Bucks won the Super Bowl, they brought back 21 of their 22 starters because they're like, okay, we won with this group. We showed that we can't. Let's go do it again, right? Even Antonio Brown, as controversial as he was, you know, and, and how weird of a fit he was in terms of culture and, like, whatever, they were like, hey, right, like, we won the Super Bowl with him, so he's a part of that. Let's retain him so that that way we can replicate those results, because he caught a touchdown in that Super Bowl. The Packers have not won a Super Bowl in over a decade. Their playoff success has been questionable and underperforming for the past 10 years. And they still have not made any kind of major adjustments. They let Zadarius Smith go, right? Um, 
he signs with the Ravens. Devontae Adams is now gone, and you didn't have any other receiver last year who had more than 700 receiving yards, so they're screwed there. If it doesn't work, manipulate stuff, use tools, manipulate cap, go solve problems, right? If it's not succeeding, then change it. And this is the consequence of paying your quarterback, right? Because Mahomes' contract is structured very specifically and very detailed so that that way they can keep so that they can keep Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. And so that down the line, they can pay Trey Smith, Creed Humphrey, etc. And say what you want about the DAC contract. They have enough depth at wide receiver so that that way they can let Wilson go and Cooper go. And, you know, they draft well at that position so they can have Lamb and Michael Gallup and draft another receiver, which have been successful at historically. The Packers which we're seeing now with just the numbers now with Alan Lazard and Humari Rogers, whoever don't really draft receivers and sign receivers at a super successful rate. And so they don't have that kind of leeway and discrepancy that the Cowboys have. So if you know that these things are ineffective in terms of acquiring these specific talents and positions, then you need to be willing to take the cuts necessary to keep the one weapon that you trust. And so, you know, he got the money, but is he happy now? Probably not. Are they Super Bowl contenders? Definitely not. I would not be shocked if I would not be shocked if the Vikings with this kind of new era offensive era that they're going for compete for the division up until like week 15, 16. I would be at a serious lookout for that. So he got the money. Is he satisfied? Does he wish he's there? Probably still, because he knows he has control. But is he sufficient enough on his own to win a Super Bowl with that weapon skill, with that weapon set? He could barely do it with, you know, couldn't do it with Devontae Adams. Now he's gone. So what are you going to do? We're now going to do America's favorite pastime, which is talking about Baker Mayfield and his saga with the Cleveland Browns. So I thought that Baker made a really poised move by releasing the letter that he did. He, For those of you who didn't see it, Baker released a letter on Instagram explaining that you know, he was uncertain about what his situation was going to be with all the Deshaun Watson rumors, talking about how the Browns were going to meet with him. And how he was really thankful for the time that he had and and that, you know, he doesn't know where his next snap's gonna be, but he does know that he's thankful for the opportunity and that he, you know, left everything on the line for them and was proud to do it. And I thought that, that was really cool, but I also thought it was really smart because now it's a situation where if they keep him, his attitudes change a little bit and when he steps on the field it's not as bad of an adhering. But if they let him go, wherever he does go is going to feel more comfortable about, you know, where he, bringing him in the building. And I like Baker. I, I think Baker's, I would probably put him as the 16th or 17th best starting quarterback uh, in the league. I understand that there are some cons there. I understand that he's smaller. I understand that he doesn't look the same or throw the same 
as Mahomes or Allen or Herbert or Burrow, but I do think that you can create certain uh, systems that kind of lean into his skills. I think he's a very easy quarterback to build around, um, which I think was made very clear with the run that they had in Stefanski's first season when they made it to the playoffs and beat the Steelers and was were this close to beating the Chiefs. But here's what I don't understand about what the Browns are doing now, what Andrew Barry's doing. So you come out and you criticize Baker, right? You're like, well, what we really want is an adult at quarterback, right? I'm like, okay, fair. He's sporadic. That's fine, right? Aaron is, Kyler is, whoever. Baker is, fine, sure. I get that. Totally understand. Then you go try and get Deshaun Watson, right? Who I think when healthy and without a bunch of baggage and without questions of availability is better than Baker. I don't think very many people would dispute that. So you try to go get him and then you don't get him. And so now when that happened, Baker requested a trade and he was very polite about it. He said, I just think it's a mutual interest for us to just split, which I think is fair. It's mutual for us to just split clean break they get whoever they get. I go to a new place, what have you. And I think Baker fits with a lot of teams. And a lot of teams really need a quarterback desperately now that Wilson's gone, Wentz is gone, Trubisky's gone. Now that you don't have the ability to go and get Watson and he requested to trade, the Browns then responded with saying, we're not going to fulfill his request. And I don't get that because here's the thing that I would say to Andrew Barry in the Browns organization. If you really wanted an adult at quarterback, you would have filled his request. Because if you want him out of the building as much as you claimed to, to, then you would look as his wanting of being out of the building as a way to be like, hey, good, we're on neutral terms. We can just get this done quickly, move on, whatever. If you want him out of the building, you, you know, you you would have fulfilled his request to be want to be out of the building. And so I'm not really buying into this whole adult thing anymore because clearly, if he was as chaotic and immature as you think, right? Matt Ryan is right there. Jimmy Garoppolo is right there. Both of whom I think all people would argue are at least just as good as Baker, right? Kind of similar tier level. But instead of trying to go get one of those guys, because clearly you're, you know, you're not really interested in having them there anymore. Clearly, you know, or at least that's what they were trying to say and articulate and portray. If you really don't want him there, go get one of those guys. But now that they can't get to Sean, they're going to keep him. So And you can say, oh, we don't think you're good enough to fulfill your trade request, right? Like, you can say that all you want. You're keeping him. So that's on you. All this immaturity stuff that you're talking about, if it still persists, that's on you for not fulfilling his his trade request post you guys failing to get to Sean Watson. This comes across to me as them wanting to be right about Baker more than wanting to improve the team if they really think a lot of these guys are better than Baker. Because you can't be like, we want an adult at quarterback and we don't think that's Baker. We're going to go get the Sean Watson 
and then you don't get Deshaun Watson, you're like, oh, no, never mind. We're going to keep Baker. We're not going to fulfill his trade request. Make up your mind, okay? If you don't want him, go get someone else. Because if you don't want him and he doesn't want to be there, that makes things easier. But instead, you're going to roll with him after all the comments, and that's on you. And so I, I, don't, I, don't, buy, I don't buy into what Andrew Barry and the Browns are doing. I think that, and again, I'm not saying that they should trade Baker. I like Baker. I think that you can win games with him. I think that you can get to the playoffs with him because clearly they did. And so I don't buy into this whole maturity thing that they're talking about. If you wanted him gone, then he would be gone because he asked to be gone. That would make it easier for you guys. But you can't get Deshaun. Now you're just going to stay with him. So talk about immaturity all you want. You're keeping him. So to touch on quickly, the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's raining money in Jacksonville. A lot of new contracts in Doug Peterson's first year. I have those in front of me here. The main ones of no Christian Kirk, Brandon Sheriff, Foyasade, um, Olo Khan, Zay Jones, Darius Williams, Evan Ingram. So, to me, that list of players translates two things to me. First of all, they have the first pick. Based on this list that I'm reading now, I think they go edge. I think they go Hutchinson or Thibodeau and not... Neil or Quanu. I think they bring in Sheriff. He'll play tackle, probably right tackle for them. And they will then draft an edge to bring in, which they would now really need now because they, they just lost Miles Jack to the Steelers. They'll bring in someone to kind of go out there, pressure the quarterback alongside Josh Allen. Um, kind of just go full on on that and kind of let Brandon Sheriff kind of lead that O-line holistically. And I know people have been saying that Christian Kirk's being overpaid. Um, I don't think his contract, because a lot of it's incentive-based if you really look at it. I don't think his contract is that big and as egregious as people are saying it is. But outside of his contract and part of the bits I have about it, I don't really mind any of these moves at all. Um, Alu Okan, he led the league in solo tackles, so you get a real, legit, productive guy in the linebacker core. Um, you can put it right at Mike and just let him go to work. Darius Williams, um, Darius Williams, get a real, you know, proper veteran corner. Zay Jones, really excited to see how he fits in. And then Evan Engram, who, you know, had talk about the season that he had all you want he's going to be more productive than anything that they have in that room the tight end room right now I'm essentially looking at this as them wanting to accelerate the development of Trevor Lawrence as much as possible get him high level adults at various positions so that that way he can kind of just have this kind of grown up kind of developed experience right off the bat so that, that way he doesn't have to go through a bunch of loopholes and chaos and nonsense to reach his peak. They can kind of get him to the point that he needs to get to quickly. And these guys of this caliber at this age do that. And what I also like about the spending specifically is that they're spreading a bunch of just uh, they're spreading it across different positions. And so anyone that they draft with the remaining draft capital, 
outside of the first pick will have someone at their position to lead into. They go receiver at 33. Christian Kirk's been here for a few years now, can learn from him. If they do decide to go interior later in the draft or maybe, you know, get a second tackle up on the left side, maybe like a Tyler Smith, Sheriff's right there to mentor them. They want to go linebacker. This is a really underrated linebacker class, in my opinion. You get a lot of guys there in that second, third round tier, kind of, you know, Christian Harris, Brandon Smith, people like that. They can learn from uh, Foyasade. And then in terms of corners, um, Darius Williams is going to be right there to develop not only him, but now uh, Tyson Campbell gets, you know, that extra boost as well. So there's a good, there's going to be a good mix of veteran presence and young presence in that secondary. Um, and so I'm really excited to see how this group meshes uh, together. And also, you know, people saying all oh, of these guys are being overpaid. This is a really wacky division with a bunch of teams that don't really know what their identity is at the moment. And so I think capitalizing on that level of dysfunction right now over the next four years, this is the perfect time for the Jacksonville organization to go in and get all of these guys. And so I'm really excited to see how this moves going forward. We are now bringing on to the show Jacob Arts, Villanovan staff writer, host of Sports Take with Jake's Monday to the 8.30 on The Roar. Jake, great to have you on the show today. So let's start... With this, right? Devontae Adams, AFC West, right? I love the move because I think he fits well with the rest of the weapons that they have. I think that you got a slot guy with Renfro. You got a kind of intermediate guy with Waller. And then you got kind of a pure route runner in Adams. I think the straight down the, the edge uh, vertical threat, that's something that they can address in the draft. There's tons of super fast guys that we saw in the combine um look right you got car as a life preserver you have wilson coming into the division right you have the chargers putting their defense essentially on steroids in about a 24 hour uh period um what do you i'm not i'm not going to talk about the packers because god knows what they're doing that's impossible to speculate um, but for the Raiders side, the more kind of understandable side, what do you view as the biggest motivating factor for them going out and getting Devontae? Because there's a lot of different angles that you kind of look at that. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, thanks for having me on Wildcat Formation. Uh, great, great show, as always. Um, yeah, this is a big move for the the Las Vegas Raiders, I think. And, and this could be the piece that, you know, gets them over the edge. You know, you think last year you're in the ten and seven, they get into that first round wild card game against the Bengals, they fall just short. Um, but th- this this move with Devontae Adams getting to the Raiders here could be that move. And you look at even the Super Bowl last year, right? The Rams and Bengals both very good offensively. I think they're a top seven in the NFL in offense. Um, and their defense weren't that great. They're fifteenth and seventeenth respectively in the NFL. So Obviously now the, the league has gone more towards, you know, the offense can really get you far. And you mentioned Darren Waller, two straight seasons, 1,145 yards. Renfro, over 1,000 yards last year, 103 catches. Derek Carr has been an accurate quarterback. You look at his 
stats, 65% completion percentage. He also has the running backs, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake has a one-two punch there. So, And you got to remember, too, Derek Carr and Devontae Adams played in college together. They went to Fresno State together. This is a big factor for why Devontae Adams ended up leaving Green Bay. And, you know, I know, like you said, Green Bay is just kind of – we honestly have no idea what they do anymore up there, it seems. Um, just a quick note on that, though. This move for them didn't make any sense, if you look at it, because if they – all they had to do – so Devontae Adams had a non-exclusive franchise tag, which means if whatever the Raiders offered, the Packers could match it. And if they would have matched it and he would have went to the Raiders, they would have automatic, automatically got two first-round picks. But for some reason, I don't know if they panicked or what they ended up doing, but they got a first and a second form. They could have just had two firsts if they followed that procedure. So I'm not too sure what they were doing there. Um, but as far as Devontae Adams, you look at his stats last year, 123 catches, over 1,500 yards, 1,553, over 12.6 yards a catch, 11 TDs, almost 10 yards per target. So this guy is going to bring, like you said, that deep threat to the Raiders at Derek Carr is going to need, and uh, I think ultimately this could really push our offense to the next level, especially considering you got Russell Wilson in that division now, Mahomes, and and Herbert as well. Yeah, and especially now, I think now you know the Chiefs are going to do whatever they can to keep Matthew. Yeah, and the Chargers they go get you know Mac and JC Jackson, yes. and the. Broncos secondary is going to be good for the next ten years because they if there's one thing they know how to do it's draft corners. Yes. Um, and so I, I think yeah, you kind of need an Adams level talent to be able to kind of manipulate that and compete with that at a consistent level. Um, because Hunter Renfro's emergence is kind of just starting, so now it's kind of a multi-layered attack that they can go with. Um, so I like. Baker Mayfield more than most people. I know he kind of has that kind of kind of anti-hero like Texas cockiness that everyone yeah. kind of has a love-hate relationship with. Obviously Cleveland doesn't want him even though I think they'll keep him uh despite what they say. I was you know I was talking about earlier on the show, you know, if you really want an adult in the room, you would have fulfilled his trade request, right? And so it's kind of just a I talked about how, you know, they kind of want to be right about Baker more they want to make the team better, but that's a separate thing, right? Oh, there's a lot of teams now, right? They need quarterbacks. Panthers, Saints, Falcons, um Colts. Um is there a specific assuming that the Browns ultimately decide to just cut the ties, break the cord, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Is there a specific landing spot to you that really makes sense for him? Not only in terms of Baker, his personality, his skill set, whatever, but also in terms of what the Browns can get back for him, either at quarterback or in other positional needs. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one for Cleveland to swing because if you look at the stats, I mean, honestly, who's going to want this guy? I mean, he's 24th in total QBR since 2018. Or that might have been last year, sorry. He had the most picks in the NFL since 2018. So right there, you're, you're looking at an inconsistent quarterback. And we know about his history with, you know, maybe not being the best leader. Look at college, you know, with the, the groin, uh, you know, grabbing instant with Kansas you had the playing the flag in the middle of Ohio State's field. I know that's a little far back, but I mean, just, just some examples of, of kind of his lack of maturity. Um, 
And you look at his stats last year, what over 3,000 yards, 3,010 yards, 17 touchdowns, 13 picks, 35.1 total QBR. Now, I mean, we have to we have to mention that he did have surgery on his torn labrum in January, which, and you could tell at the end of the year, really mo- almost the whole year, he was playing with the injured. So um, that definitely had a big effect on his performance. Um, if you if I had to pick a team out of those four that you mentioned, it would almost have to be the Colts, right? I mean, they brought in Carson Wentz last year, who I mean, I've had obviously a lot of experience with him in Philadelphia. Very wildly inconsistent um, with what he can do. I mean, he can be very dynamic, but he also can be very poor. And we've seen that. I mean, he looked at that Jacksonville game. He threw a pick, trying to throw a ball with his left hand out of his own end zone. Um, so I think that would be, if he were to get traded, would be the destination. Now, would Indianapolis want him? I don't know. I mean, right now they don't have a quarterback. They just traded once to the Commanders, so maybe they'll go after him. I mean, they have Jonathan Taylor, so I mean, kind of similar to what the Browns have with um, their running attack. Um, so you can just have Baker kind of hand it off to Taylor like Wentz did and survive that way. Um, and we all know Frank Reich's a very good offensive coach. I mean, he was the offensive coordinator in Philly on the Super Bowl team. Um, it's going to be a tough swing, though. I mean, I, I, and we don't know, you know, where is Deshaun Watson to go, right? You mentioned the Panthers, Falcons, and Saints. I mean, those are all three teams that are looking at getting Deshaun Watson. So I don't think they'd really necessarily be interested in um, Baker Mayfield um, because, I mean, if you look at it, the Saints still have Jameis Winston yet. So, you know, who knows what if they're going to keep him or they're going to get Watson. You know, Carolina is pretty much all in on Deshaun Watson. And the Falcons still have Matt Ryan yet. And looking at the drafts, they might draft uh, Willis from Liberty. So, I mean, honestly, it doesn't look like any of those three teams would be interested at that point. Um we also have to look at the coaches Baker's had. Hugh Jackson, obviously not good. Freddie Kitchens, no bueno. And you have Stefanski the last two years. He's been decent. I mean, they went to the playoffs 2020. They beat Pittsburgh, um, made the division round, almost beat Kansas City. Now, last year was kind of an enigma, a very weird year. But, I mean, 2020 he had 3,563 yards, 26 TDs, 8 picks. I mean, now for a top tier quarterback you're like that's not that great but like for Cleveland that's a heck of a quarterback so um, yeah it's going to be interesting what happens man I I don't know what's going to happen here Uh, Mayfield said to Adam Schefter it's in the best it's in the mutual interest of both sides for us to move on you know for number one overall pick only four years in the league you know I mean if you're Cleveland though like you're not going to get a good investment you almost have to keep him right at this point and just kind of see what happens. And, you know, Mayfield's going to have to grow up and just be like, accept it because I don't know where else he's going to go. Yeah, I was. you talked about the labor. Like I'm saying, if you're going to trade him, why would you trade him when he's essentially walking on one leg <laughs> exactly. right now? Um, but going back, I agree, you know, like the Colts. Like Colts structurally are very similar. Yes. They're very similar structurally to the Browns' um, top 3-0 line in the AFC. Yeah. Um excellent running game because we know that Baker and we know with his skill set and the skill set of with Jonathan Taylor if there's one thing that's Baker's really good at it's rolling yes. and the Colts Play O-line action. they have the tools to be able to kind of do that and then also with a lot they have a lot of really nice young um, secondary players and so I think structurally 
going to the Colts from an offensive standpoint would be a system that Baker could learn really quickly. Um, and so I think that would be the best place for him because, like, if you look at the Panthers, they just about an hour ago, they're out on Deshaun Watson, okay, essentially. They okay. So their options are limited there. Um, but I do think the Colts are the best place to keep your eye on. Let's go to the Eagles now. Yes. So Fletcher Cox, gone. Son Reddick, in, yeah. right? So what's the motive behind that? Because there wasn't really any type of sign of regression with Cox, at least not one where you kind of need to, like, you know, sound the alarm, right? Yeah. What? So what's Howie Roseman thinking there? Is it a cap space thing? Is it an age thing? Because to me, what that's screaming, and we'll get to this in, in, in a little bit, is let's cut him save that cap space, spend it in a bunch of other places, particularly in the secondary, and then just go and get Jordan Davis in the draft. So what's what's Roseman's kind of motive with that, with cutting him and then, then spending all this money on Hassan Reddick? Yeah, this is interesting. So the Eagles cut or released Fletcher Cox yesterday. Um, he would have he been owed $18 million fully guaranteed if they did not release him by yesterday at 4 o'clock. So that's why they released him. However, it came out last night, according to the NBC's Sports Philadelphia's John Clark that he will most likely be returning to the Eagles. So it was all a cap space thing. It it's a very complex issue. I'm going to try to break it down here a little bit for the audience. Um, so the Eagles used a release with a post June 1st reg- or designation. So pretty much this means is that the Eagles will spread out Fletcher Cox's cap charge between this year and next year but they will have to carry his full cap charge through the date of January 1st, or sorry, June 1st, which equates to $15 million. So it was all a cap thing. Over the caps, Jason Fitzgerald said the Eagles either save $2.12 million or $5.31 million, depending on how the NFL treats the option proration of the contract, which an option proration is pretty much means a sum that's spread out over the lifetime of the contract in equal installments. So you have to see how the NFL treats that. So it could either be somewhere from 2 to $5 million range that they could save. Um, but Cox, I mean, yeah, if you look at his stats, I mean, last year, not bad. 16 games, 3.5 sacks, 35 tackles, 7 tackles for loss, 12 QB hits. Now, as an Eagles fan, we're used to, the Fletcher Cox of old, you know, blowing up the inside of that interior, really stuffing the run game for opposing offenses. Um, obviously, him being now 31 years old, you kind of have to te- you have to temper the expectations a little bit. Um, but I mean, he's been six consecutive Pro Bowls from 2015 to 2020. Remember the NFL's All Decade team in the 2010s. So this guy still has some juice left in the tank, and um, it looks like the Eagles are going to bring him back here. Um, and it looks like they're going to save probably a few million because he'll probably sign for about 14 or 15 million. Um, but yeah, like you said, this will free up a little bit of money for um, the secondary. And then, of course, the Hassan Reddick signing. This is a huge signing, I think. Three years, 45 million, could be up to 49.5 million, depending on how he does the incentives. This is big because the Eagles only had 29 sacks last year which is the fewest ever in the NFL since sacks became recorded in 1982. He was number 13 overall pick in the draft in 2017, so he's relatively young. He's only 27 years old. He actually played at Temple. 
he uh, he really didn't shine till his senior year. He was injured a lot in college, and then the senior year he really started playing well, and then that's when he got noticed. He was drafted by Arizona. It's kind of seen a disappointment because Arizona didn't use him right. They tried to use him as a linebacker mostly, and it just didn't work out very well. Went to Carolina last year on a one-year deal, played really well. Um, he's fifth in the sacks in the NFL in the last two years, so it's showing that he can really be a force off the edge, um, especially considering the Eagles' defensive line is just pitiful when it comes to sacks. Um, I think partially that was due as well to Jonathan Gannon really trying to implement his defense, but he didn't really have the guys necessary for that multiple defense he wants to run. Um, they're saying that um, Hassan Ruggs would be used as like a Sam linebacker, so that's like the strong side linebacker that would be used um, in Gannon's scheme. Um, they're saying like the early downs he might be used because he's like a linebacker edge rusher hybrid, kind of like think of like a Micah Parsons type of thing. So like, you know, early downs would be used as a linebacker, might get dropped in coverage a little bit, but then on the later downs you're gonna have him rush to passer, especially like on a, on a zone blitz type of thing. He could drop into coverage, but you're gonna have him rush to passer, especially on those later downs. And I think this defensive line could look pretty good. You know, you have. You have Reddick now, Josh Sweat. They just signed with a three-year, forty million dollar extension last year, um, and he had ten sacks going into that contract. So I think he's going to definitely improve upon that. You have uh, Javon Hargrave coming back, and then of course you have Cox if he resigns. Then you have Brandon Graham coming back. Now we don't know what he's going to be like. You know, we, he's been good here for a while, but coming off of a really bad injury, we don't know what he's going to be like. Um, but if everything works out, though, this defensive line could uh, rapidly improve for next season. So you guys pick at 15, yeah. 16, mm-hmm. and 19, yep. right? Now, I'm going to – so you bring in Haskin, Hassan Reddick, and he – you're right. He, he kind of shakes up the draft need conversation because yeah, he can totally. play both edge and outside yes. linebacker. You kind of right. He kind of falls into that like Micah Parsons, Carl Nassib kind of hybrid yeah, yeah, mold physically, exactly. but is so under. And I believe this list is relatively consistent, regardless of what Fletcher Cox decides to return or go somewhere else or whatever. I would say that the biggest needs to address with these three picks are defensive tackle, safety, yes, yep. wide receiver, yeah. And then left offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. So, is there uh, now? You know, you kind of have, you know, a lot of play. This is a thing. What's good is that all the positions that they really, really, really need, um, outside of safety, because it's kind of Kyle Hamilton, and then a bunch of eh, all the positions that you guys really need are very. These are very deep classes for. Yeah. So, um. Are there specific positions that you think they should address first at 15 and 16? Are there any specific players that you believe they should target uh, with these three picks? You know, they have a lot of capital. Do they trade up? Do they trade down? How do you kind of approach? Because it's very rare for a team to have this much capital this early on day one. So how do you, based on their needs... How do you think they approach us, or do they just kind of go since they have so much to work with, go into like a best player available kind of situation? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, 
it just really depends on how it shakes out. I think defensive end tackle, like you said, there's so many good prospects that honestly you can kind of just stay put. Um, a couple that I've seen that have been talked about um, from Michigan, David Ojabo, um, 6'5", 250. Now, I just saw today, this this could hurt his draft stock, um, he was helped off the field at Michigan's pro day. pro day. They're saying it could be a left leg injury or ankle injury. He was just doing a pass rush drill. Uh, so that, that could maybe knock him down a little bit. So I don't know if he'll still be available or if he'll still be wanting to be drafted that highly. I'm um, we'll to see what his injury is like. Um, a guy I've seen a lot is Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. Um, he ran a 4-5-40, Has possibility of being that kind of double-digit sack guy eventually. Um, and they're saying he's pretty much NFL ready coming out of Florida State because he went to Georgia and then Florida State. A lot of energy with him. Um, Trayvon Walker, another one from Georgia, um, pretty much has it all. Complete defensive end, defensive tackle. He can work both inside that three technique and also work on the edge. Um, he has, really has a great sense of how to rush the passer. Also ran a four five forty. Um, these guys seem like they're getting faster and faster. It seems every year. Um, with the 16th pick, um, they would address the linebacker position, I think. So you get, go out and get Devin Lloyd from Utah. Um, 16 and a half sacks in three years at Utah as a starter. Um, really be able to anchor that defense. Because now you'd have Reddick back there. You also have TJ Edwards along with uh, Lloyd. He ran a 4.6640, so he's not necessarily as fast as like a Parsons, but. He definitely is versatile and definitely someone that Gannon could use in that he likes really to put guys in different places. So I think that would be a good move. Um, also, if you look at – I'm looking at some of the other uh, projections here. A couple of them had the defensive end from Purdue, George Karloftis. Karloftis. Can I say that right? Um, but, yeah, he's, he's another guy that, again, um, could be another – defensive end pick very active hands uh has got a length and like really good leverage so and especially playing in the big 10 i mean if you're not playing in big 12 or pac 12 where it's all you know spread them out like big 10's very physical smash mouth football so having a guy like that that's used to that type of offense the nfl is still predicated on can you win the line of scrimmage you know i mean that's with any league but really but like especially the nfl you got to be able to win that battle up front um and, of course, like you said, we need receivers. Outside of Devonta Smith, there's really nobody that is of note. I mean, you have Greg Ward Jr. used to be a quarterback at Houston. Uh, you have J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who is a bust. I mean, he was from Stanford, first-round pick, but, like, he's pretty much relegated to special teams at this point. Jalen Rager, number, another first-round pick from TCU, he's been awful for two years. Um, so, like, we really need to get this right here. Um I did see Jamison Williams from Alabama. And now the only thing with him is that he tore his ACL in the national championship game. So that, that could be good for the Eagles, though, right? Because that, I mean, if he didn't have that torn ACL, he's probably getting drafted higher than 19 if he ends up falling to 19. But, I mean, look at his stats last year 1,572 receiving yards, 79 catches, 15 touchdowns, just tied for third in all of the FBS, and almost a 20 yards per catch. And in the SEC, yeah, that's pretty good. Six one and a half for Williams, and, and you could pair him up nicely with Devontae Smith, who's also from Alabama. I also saw um, 
Drake London from USC, another guy. Um, good body control, large catch radius. Um, so that's another guy to keep your eye on. Also, Chris Olave from Ohio State, another guy. And I'm pretty familiar with him because I'm a huge Penn State fan. So <laughs> I've seen him wreck us a few times. Um, yeah, this guy could be really good. Um, like they're saying could be like the best receiver in the draft possibly. Um, but having Olave and Smith on the same uh, offense, that could be pretty nice for the Eagles. Yeah, no, they they have a lot. And you got to remember, they have two-thirds because of the Wentz trade. Yes. So there's a lot that they can do in terms of how they approach. Because this is a very deep receiver. They're not just in the first round like what we saw in the um, 2020 draft, but all the way going down to the third, fourth round, there are guys that are running four fours and had really um, visually mesmerizing gauntlet runs at the combine. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned Devin Lloyd. Um, I also think that um, they there's the Kobe Dean as well, so they can kind of decide, right, do you want to have Hassan Reddick on one side and then you kind of get this kind of power traditional Mike guy? Yeah. Or they can... In in what Nakobe Dean sort of is is he's he's kind of like a ball hawking guy who can be out in space or do you take the Devin Lloyd approach where you kind of have one hybrid D end outside hybrid at either side and you can just essentially create an entire playbook off of just that um, and so there's a lot of different approaches here and yeah I I think that Drake London um, with his catch rate is you know. Um, I think Jalen Hurts is a little prone to underthrowing, and so I think that, especially with the kind of mobility that Nick Sirianni likes to incorporate into what he wants to do, and so I expect that they will go and get O lineman in this draft as well, just to kind of have some of that protection. But I think having someone with that kind of cash radius um, is important for younger quarterbacks, so that yeah. that way they don't have to, they can still kind of focus on their accuracy and still you know, be able to make productive throws. So uh, there's a lot of different things that they could do. Yeah, yeah. For sure. That's going to do it for today, guys. This has been Wildcat Formation on 89.1 WXVU Radio on Spotify. I've been your host, Anders Pryor. Happy Friday. Go Cats. <laughs>